Hello, Marketeers. Welcome to another episode of AEC Marketeer Podcast, exploring AEC marketing and beyond. I'm your host, Keelan Cox, and I'll be exploring marketing trends and answering your most pressing questions to help you thrive as an AEC Marketeer. Hello, Marketeers. Today's episode, I get to chat with Andy Pierce. He is in B2C marketing, and I brought him on to introduce the AEC industry and our marketing folk to some new ideas and campaigns and their way of doing things so that we can noodle on it a little bit. I really hope you enjoy this. I loved my conversation with him, and I think you will too. Thank you so much, Andy, for joining us. For those of our listeners who don't know you, could you give a quick introduction of yourself? Sure. Thanks for having me, Keelan. Firstly, I'd be amazed if any of your listeners do know me. (laughs) Um, I am the Group Strategy Director at Core. I lead our strategy practice. Core is a full solution advertising agency, so we look after creative media, performance marketing, but also things like sponsorship, research, strategy, data, among other things. We're based in Dublin, in Ireland. A lot of our work is in the Irish market or the European market. And my job there is really to help clients develop marketing brand and advertising strategies, which are going to give them an unfair advantage. I'd say the most common thing that I actually do, though, or the most common advice I actually give to clients is really around prioritization. What to focus on, and more importantly, and more often, I suppose, what to do less of. There's always more marketing than money. And often our job is to help clients work out what they should be focusing most of their energy on rather than necessarily trying to keep all the plates spinning, which is often what they're asked to do by the business. So strategy for us is simply the map that's going to guide them from point A to point B. It's the direction, the fewest possible detours. So we work on anything from developing brand positioning for new products or new launches or repositioning to identifying which segments are going to deliver growth and helping our clients work out how to target that group of people to laying down three to five year marketing plans and playbooks and distilling them right down to one sheet. What is the, what is the simple strategy they can go back to again and again. And we also work sometimes on, on helping clients build business cases for marketing investment in the first place or increases in investment. I haven't been asked to work on any cases to decrease investment yet, but we should probably be also capable of doing that. And mostly, I suppose, what's important for our conversation is we work primarily in the B2C space. So I'm not super familiar with AEC marketing, but I thought it might be helpful to compare notes and talk a little bit about maybe some of the commonalities and some of the differences and see how we can help each other. One thing, maybe rebranding AEC marketing. I don't know why the acronym is not ACE, which is a far cooler acronym. ACE marketing is better than AEC. So that's me in a nutshell. You brought up one of the reasons that I am so excited to have you on is because we are from two different industries, both doing marketing. And the idea of this episode is to bring in your knowledge of a more advanced marketing than AEC or ACE marketing would be used to and see where we can draw maybe some good ideas from what you do back into AEC marketing just as a way to keep us from being in this echo chamber of best practices within our industry. 
So to start off with, what are some of your favorite examples of really successful campaigns or what do you think we should be doing? I might start with the second part of that. What do we think we should be doing? And just to clarify, I don't necessarily think one is more advanced than the other. Both are probably echo chambers. It's always good to get out of those echo chambers and start to look at things from a different perspective and look at it from a consumer perspective. So I might start with the second part of that question, which is what are some of the challenges that we have and what are the things that are happening in in B2C marketing? Because I think far from a golden age of marketing, I think B2C marketing is possibly coming out of a little bit of a dark age or hopefully coming out of a little bit of a dark age. I think B2C marketing in the last Oh, I was going to say decade, maybe even a little bit more, maybe a large part of this century so far, we have forgotten some of the best practice of marketing. We've forgotten some of the first principles and we've forgotten some of the great learning and case studies and evidence that was built up going back to the foundation of planning in kind of the the 60s and 70s, really 50s, even 60s and 70s. And our CEO often talks about one of the challenges marketing faces. It can be any kind of marketing, whether it's B2C, ACE marketing, or any other form of marketing. One of the challenges we face is we're often addressing boards or speaking to boards which are made up of professionals in the form of engineers or accountants, financial advisors, legal minds, lawyers, whatever it might be, uh, people who come with accreditation. and, And typically marketing doesn't have that. And that's a bit of a challenge. Now, we tend not to lean heavily on case history. We tend not to lean heavily on proof. We tend not to lean heavily on evidence. And that hasn't served as well in the recent past. And I think we got a bit excited and a bit fanatical about tech and about novelty and about change. And we lost our way a little bit. So we became obsessed with things like short-term metrics rather than looking at long-term brand building we started to get very reactive. We started to try and come up with short-term campaigns that took advantage of a particular piece of technology or a particular opportunity in social or in search or in PPC. We tried to react to culture on a moment-by-moment basis. We adopted an approach to building a beautiful piece of content will be enough and people will want to seek it out. You know, we are kind of out of the viral marketing stage now, thank God. But You know, the line we often use was Kevin Costner is a really, really bad marketer. If you build it, they will not come. You know, we lost our way a little bit and we got into a very kind of niche and tight targeting space. And I think in the last couple of years, B2C marketing is starting to come out of that sort of period of transition. We're starting to be less obsessed with some of the short term metrics and we're starting to go back to some of the things that were true 50 years ago, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, and were true over the last decade or two as well, but we just didn't practice them as much. And we're starting to get back to the basic core disciplines of what makes marketing effective. So we look at balancing short-term and long-term metrics. We are constantly in the last couple of years being reminded of the benefits of consistency. Benefits of consistency in terms of presence, but consistency in terms of tone, in terms of the look and the feel and the style. We're being reminded of how little consumers or our end targets, how little time they they rightly give to us as, as brands and how much we need to keep things as simple as possible for them. We're being reminded of the importance of customer experience and we're being reminded of some of those really basic elements, measuring what we're doing so that we're able to go back to the business 
and demonstrate the effectiveness of what we are doing. That doesn't have to be immediate sales. It, it can be long-term measures that we're showing gradual progression in and movement. And we're being reminded of the basics of going back to simple segmentation, targeting, making sure that we're looking at the right clusters and understanding people, listening to them, talking to them, running focus groups, spending time understanding what it is that matters to them, what their needs are, because ultimately marketing isn't successful unless it meets a want, a need, or a desire. And I think we're getting much better now, finally, at remembering that, that the brands that we promote live in the minds of the consumers rather than live in the minds of, of, of us as marketers and agency people. So I hope as an industry, we're going through a lot of that change now, and I think it's a good thing. And there's so much good stuff written on this. There's so many great old cases, but also new thinking coming out, which is reinforcing a lot of that. In terms of campaigns, some of the campaigns that I've seen apply this, I, I can give you a couple of examples that I've worked on recently that I'm quite proud of. They're probably not going to mean a whole lot to your listeners, but it's even worth seeking them out if they're interested, I suppose. But two examples that stand to my mind, and I'm, I probably wind up referencing them a couple of times. One is a telecoms brand that we've been working on here in Ireland. It's an international brand, but we've been focusing on the Irish market. And it was a challenger brand for the last number of years. It's called Three or Three Mobile. And up until about two or three years ago, that brand was very focused on sales, just driving sales. All of its marketing activity was measured in the short term. It was all geared towards putting handsets and price points in front of consumers and trying to sell as many of them as we possibly could and trying to reduce the cost of each of those sales as much as we could. And about three years ago, we faced a challenge. We weren't closing the gap with the market leader, firstly, but secondly, new entrants came in and we had to rethink what we did. And in particular, they were eating away at the core value segments that the brand in question had managed to secure. So we changed our approach quite considerably and we went after a different segment. We went back to the drawing board firstly, identified a segment that we were interested in. We had to continue to hold the segment that we had, but we wanted to move towards a different segment. And we identified that we had two barriers for that group of people. They thought we were a young value conscious brand. They thought that we weren't for them, but it boiled down to they didn't believe that we had credibility in terms of coverage, which is vital for a mobile brand. It's pretty unsexy and boring, but it's vital. And they didn't believe that our data offering was as strong as competitors. And we spent three years talking about essentially nothing but our coverage and our data offering. But we did it in a very engaging way, and it culminated in a campaign that I was lucky enough to work on. It wasn't our creative idea, but it, was, it came from one of the other agencies, and it was incredibly powerful. They found an island off the west coast of Ireland, quite a small island with less than 1,000 people living on it that had connectivity problems, and the population was declining because people were leaving. And they set about trying to make it the most connected island in the world to demonstrate that their network was as good or better than anyone else's. And over the course of a number of different TV shoots, but real work, you know, they really did build a, a super impressive infrastructure on it. We were able to tell the story of the transformation of that island. And it became a metaphor for not just the bigger island of Ireland, but also a metaphor for the businesses um, and the enterprises that they were hoping to serve. But it was the culmination of three years of talking about network and data credentials and consistency. And it's been incredibly successful for them, not just that campaign, but the story of the last three years. So that for me is a great example of going back to the basics, identifying the right segment, identifying the right proposition, and identifying 
the right positioning for the brand and sticking with that in a kind of a almost a repetitive boring manner i heard professor jenny rumniak if you come across her she's well worth reading she's a book about distinctive brand assets but she has a great quote on it which is as soon as you the marketer start to get bored of the message that's when it might just be beginning to work on your consumers. As soon as you, the marketer, think it's time to change the message, that's probably the point where your customers are starting to kind of get a sense that there's some consistency. When your CEO comes to you and tells you, I'm bored of the message and it's time to cancel it, that's when you know it's beginning to finally work. So at neither point should you actually stop doing it, that's when you should double down and keep going. And I think that's what a lot of, that's what a lot of effective not necessarily brilliantly creative, but highly effective marketing in the B2C space, I think is starting to look like. When you said consistency and getting the message, the first thing I thought of was Geico. Yes, yes. I've seen like, some of the Geico work, yeah. Now, they use some really creative formats as well. They were yeah. very, very, very smart in terms of how they created standout. And I, I wouldn't be overly familiar with the brand, but I've seen some of the executions and yeah some fantastically consistent approaches, I think, and execute it. I think they have a challenge to try and keep that style and tone up. But yeah, some fantastically consistent executions. Yeah. Great standout. So you mentioned consistency being one of the basics. What would you consider the other basics of marketing to be? There's a couple of things here. I would say this because it's my job, but I think you've got to start with strategy before tactics. And that means, in its simplest sense, going back to diagnosis is the term that we often use. So diagnosing the problem. What's the challenge in front of us? What are we here to address? And the example I gave of three, the mobile operator, we were clear there was two things. It was coverage credentials and data credentials. It was crystal clear to us that these were the two problems that we had to overcome. But in that diagnosis, that is where you start to talk to customers. It can be very informal at the start, but it's critical that you do and that we don't make the mistake of assuming that we, know, we are the brand or we are the customer worse, you know, assuming that we know what the consumer feels because we're roughly in the same segment or demographics. You have to go and speak to them. Again, Mark Ritson, another person who it's worth reading up on, would argue as soon as you start working on a brand, you're not dispassionate anymore. You lose any claim to representing the customer and you've got to start looking at or speaking to them order to get insight. So you start with a piece of qualitative research. It can be done very informally or it can be done formally to understand what the problems are, what the perception gaps are, what their needs are, what their wants are, what they're looking for, what the brand is failing to provide, what it's providing well, what the gaps with the competition are. And from that, you can then move into building up a picture of what the market looks like, who the different customer types are, what the different customer segments are, and start to map against that, where is the value? Which is the group that is going to deliver for you the greatest degree of profit or of return in the coming 12 months or 24 months? Rather than trying to go after all of them, we've got to be clear about which particular segment it is that's going to deliver the return for us. And if done well, that should be quite clear. You know, as you do that diagnosis stage, it should be quite clear which part of the market it is that we're going after. The next fundamental then is about 
once we've understood what their needs are, it's about aligning the brand to communicate that it can meet and exceed those needs, which is positioning. So we start to move from understanding and segmentation into aligning the brand to the needs of those consumers. And then I think once we've done that, then I think you can start to move into, into execution and into the various tactics and into the channels and into the creative ideation. And that's where repetition comes in for me as well. Then, you know, we should be picking singular messages. We're clear about the segment that we're going after. And then it becomes about just reinforcing that message over and over again. And the final piece of the puzzle, which I don't know what it's like in all markets around the world or in ACE marketing, but I think in B2C, we forgot about measurement for a while, or rather we replaced it with measuring likes and click-through rates and cost of acquisition, things like this, functional metrics, which are useful in terms of campaign optimization, but they're not useful in tracking the progress of a brand. So going back to some core measures that tell us whether we're making an impact in the reputation that the brand has with that segment that we're trying to target. So they're the main principles, I think, starting with strategy, diagnosing the problem, segmenting the market, picking our target, aligning the positioning of the brand to what the target's needs are, and then measuring for success. Or otherwise, we would often argue as well in the early stages, we're not so worried whether the old measures go in the right direction in the first instance. Once they do anything, that's telling us whether something is working or whether we need to adjust something to make it work. So they're the core principles, I think, that certainly we try and start any of our, our work with. So as far as getting out of our echo chamber, where do you see marketing going and where do you see the successful campaigns? I have a view on where do I see marketing going and I might treat it separately to the, the echo chamber piece. There are a couple of routes to success, I think, in marketing. But before we discuss those, I think there's a bigger barrier that we are starting to try to overcome at the moment. And it didn't exist 50 or 60 years ago when all of this great thinking started. And it's actually probably been compounded by the last 20 years. And I presume it affects AEC marketing as much as it affects any other type of marketing. And that is clutter, noise, the amount of commercial messages, the amount of pieces of communication, the amount of ads that we're exposed to every single day is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I've, I've seen different studies. I've done one and I've seen different ones. There was a Harvard study that said, on average, you're exposed to 5,000 commercial messages a day. That seems insane to me. My own study suggested that you're exposed to about 360 messages a day. So you can believe either Harvard or me, I suppose. But it doesn't really matter. Once it gets past a certain level, it, it kind of becomes ridiculous anyway. So cutting through that clutter is probably one of the biggest challenges marketing is going to face in the next couple of years, because it only seems to be getting worse. Indeed, our own study suggests that it is increasing by a couple of percentage points every year. You know, So it's getting noisier. And you know, 10 or 15 years ago, you were exposed to less than half of those. So what can marketing do to overcome it? What are the routes that it can take? What are the opportunities? There are two that jump out as being really significant for me. One of them, which I'm particularly fascinated about, is this idea of culture as a medium. And actually, we sort of extended it into other spaces. You know, it can be technology as a medium as well. So essentially innovating in hard tech to, to demonstrate 
brand purpose or to demonstrate brand credentials. Domino's in the US is a great example of that. They've been doing it for about a decade. For a number of years, they've experimented with a range of different pieces of technology. Many of them kind of gimmicks, some of them real, some of them credible, but they were using it to, to demonstrate kind of the efficacy and the modernity of the brand. So they did drone deliveries before drones were a thing. They created their own voice assistant just after Siri and Alexa started to kind of appear. I think he was called Dom. It was useless. It couldn't do anything. It wouldn't tell you the time, but it would let you order a pizza. And that was all it could do. And they had a bit of fun with that. They played around with driverless cars. You know, they did a whole range of different, you could watch your pizza being made in real time. Nobody wanted to do that, but you know, they just played with it and had a bit of fun and, and they kind of stuck their tongue firmly in their cheek when they were producing it. So there's an example there of technology as a medium, but also culture as a medium. You know, they were reacting to trends in culture like Siri, like Alexa, or things emerging in culture like Siri and like Alexa. There's a series on Netflix about the Beats brand and how the catalyst for the success of the Beats brand was essentially the, the headphones in the Olympics, you know, that it was seen on the athletes, which is using culture to kickstart the momentum of the brand. And another example, an Irish example, actually, but they're kind of European now, is Ryanair, an airline everyone loves to hate in Europe, but they pioneered low fares airlines in Europe. And they created a phenomenon. They, they created a kind of cultural movement, although they wouldn't necessarily say that themselves, but they created a cultural movement around the idea of city breaks. So holidays in Europe prior to the emergence of Ryanair would have consisted of, if you're Irish, two weeks in the sun somewhere, you know, trying to get out of the day-to-day -day and trying to go somewhere warm for two weeks or three weeks in the summer. But Ryanair, through low fares, started trying to encourage people to take three and four night breaks and to travel in other cities around Europe. And the way that we, we use it as a case study quite regularly, and we talk about how Ryanair sold the city, not the seat. It didn't try and just convince you of the low price point. It had to sell you on Krakow in Poland because you probably hadn't heard of it and you didn't know why you should go there. It had to sell you on the benefits of Prague. It had to sell you on the benefits of Bucharest or Puglia or Oslo or somewhere else that you never thought that you were going to go because they happened to have an opportunity to fly you there for five euro. So they needed to sell you the city rather than the seat. So I think there are numerous examples. It's not yet a kind of a common thing, I think, that we're talking about, but I think we'll talk much more about how brands can use culture as a medium, can use technology as a medium. And it kind of brings us into the other area, which another big opportunity, I think, which is to start to use customer experience as a medium and to drive repeat business and to change the way that people perceive the brand by focusing on customer experience. And it doesn't just have to be the physical experience. You know, I think the example that often gets used is, or certainly the example we've often used is Nespresso. You know, Nespresso created these sort of hybrid coffee house retail environments for people to go in and experience it and expect to see George Clooney and you didn't see George Clooney, but it's still, if George Clooney was a coffee shop, that's what it would be like. And it was really, really effective. But I think you can go beyond that. And I think brands are starting to do a lot more about moving beyond just the physical store or the physical environment as a customer experience. And there's some really cool examples of this. You know, there's one we often use, which is a watch brand called Festina. 
nothing to do with this brand, I don't even know where it comes from, but they use their packaging to do the customer experience job. So Festina's USP is that it is a dress watch, but it's waterproof. So they sell the watch in pouches of water. The packaging is a bag that's filled with water and has the watch floating in the middle of it. And it's a really cool way of demonstrating the proof point of the brand just through the packaging. And it also stands out a mile. Dominoes we've talked about, but some other examples that you, one you probably might be familiar with is the live test series from Volvo. I don't know if you saw that. It was probably the most standout piece was Jean-Claude Van Damme doing the splits as the trucks reversed with Enya track playing. Yeah. Yeah. There's actually a whole series of those and they were talking about the precision engineering of Volvo trucks. So there's an example of the CEO being suspended from a crane standing on the nose of a Volvo truck that's held up just by its rigging or just by the, I don't know the technical term, the hook at the front of the truck. And he's talking about how strong the hook is and he's prepared to suspend himself 100 feet in the air while he's standing on a three-ton truck. And there was a few other examples of a JCB have done some cool stuff as well. There's a brand in Australia, a telco brand, that again, one I always go back to, which does customer experience really, really well, which is Optus. It's a telco brand in Australia. And again, it had a challenge, not unlike the one I outlined earlier on about coverage being a problem for it. But every brand in Australia was doing the same thing. Every brand was saying, oh, we've got 97.4% coverage. We've got 97.5% coverage. So rather than get into that war, Optus instead created a bunch of buoys that they placed in the water around kind of popular surfing spots in Australia. And these buoys detected sharks. So they were able to pick up a signal of a shark in the water. It would automatically send a tweet to the lifeguards and send a broadcast tweet to say that this wasn't a safe place to surf or to swim. But what it allowed them to do was essentially say, your coverage is 97.4% or 97.5%, so what? Our technology stops sharks. Our phones, our network, our coverage is so reliable that it stops shark attacks. And I think that's very powerful. So I think you start to look at other things as a medium, whether it's culture, whether it's technology or customer experience. And I treat customer experience slightly differently because I think there's a lot more we can do with it as well. But there are some examples of, of where I think marketing can go and what the future might look like for it. But I also think by doing these things, by starting to look into this and by trying to immerse ourselves in, like if we're going to immerse ourselves in culture, you have to get out of the echo chamber anyway. If you're going to start looking at uh, consumer experience or customer experience, you, you have to get out of the marketing echo chamber. This isn't just sitting at your desk and trying to crack it. You've got to go out and speak to people. You've got to speak to consumers. You've got to understand how the brand is perceived in culture. You've got to take a sideways glance at what's happening in the wider world, what's happening in your consumers' days and minds, what's at issue for them, what are they concerned about, what are they worried about, what are they excited about? There's a whole slew of different things that we have to start getting into. And of course, the other big group of people to talk to that you have to do for this, but arguably we should be doing for anything is your own wider organization. So one of the tactics or techniques rather that we often employ when we're developing these brand strategy or marketing strategy is running workshops with as broad a spectrum of people as possible so that you are getting input from all parts of the business. You are understanding the concerns and the worries, the anxieties that they may have about the direction that the marketing is going in and some of the expectations that they may have. But equally, you have an opportunity to cross-pollinate as well. And you have an opportunity to let them see 
the benefits that marketing can bring and the challenges that marketing can help overcome. So I think by focusing on the future, we automatically start to get out of the echo chamber, but I think canvassing opinion internally is also very important. One of the most effective examples that I've seen of an engineering firm managing to take it a step further with one of their projects would be, we had a transportation project. I actually don't know who the firm was, but I was made very aware of their campaign because it was a highway construction project that was gonna shut down six of the eight lanes of traffic that go either way in Los Angeles. So they branded it. They branded it Carmageddon. It was LA Carmageddon. Everyone knew about it. They ran radio ads. So it became a thing of like, what are you doing during Carmageddon? Because they were so worried about this massive backup of traffic that they figured if we can just get this out to the public and make it cool to not be driving during Carmageddon, then this will be a more successful project. And it was. That's a perfect example of not telling the client, we're going to get this done on time, we're going to get this done under budget, but like actually doing something above the project or over the project that someone normally wouldn't do for a highway construction project that saved money and saved time. So they ended up proving themselves, but it was more of like a cool thing rather than just an engineering project. Mm. That's really cool. Even that in itself is creating a small kind of piece of culture. It's creating something that's happening in the wider world. And it's something that lends itself very easily to partnership, you know, bringing in other brands to try and kind of help Carmageddon go smoothly, you know, to try and, and help people in terms of what they're doing at home or to provide services or entertainment or alternatives to people. You could see, depending on what time of year or what time of day or, or what period of the week that was run, see a big opportunity for different FMCG brands, CPG brands, beverage brands, entertainment brands to try and piggyback on the back of that as well. That's a really, really smart, clever example of of creating culture rather than just reacting to it you know and and a very powerful thing i also think carmageddon is a cool name i live in middle of nowhere here and we've got a field full of sheep behind us i don't live in the city i live outside the sheep uh field full of sheep and they sometimes break into the garden it's referred to as the sheep apocalypse when they manage to get in so i I like carmageddon it's good the challenges that aec marketing has and we hear this from our clients is when they're selecting our proposals, which can be anywhere from eight pages to 100 pages long. Who has time to read all of that if it's not eight pages? And they get 20 submittals from a bunch of firms saying the same thing. So we're sort of suffering from the sea of sameness where most of the messages are, like I said, under budget, on time, we have great references, And what clients struggle with is figuring out what makes us different. What's our differentiators? And even in our differentiators, when we think we're different, we're not. (laughs) So are there any examples that you can think of where there are a ton of competitors and you struggle to figure out what a differentiator is? Like, how do you come up with a differentiator when a lot of the products would be the same? That's a really good question. And I think that goes to 
the heart of what good marketing is. And I'll start by picking up on the word that you've used there, which is differentiator. It's important to understand what we mean by that, or rather what marketing can do with that. My perspective on this is that a differentiator doesn't have to be something unique, firstly, which depending on what school of marketing you come from, may be sacrilege to say, but I don't think it needs to be unique. It has to be something that matters to your prospective customers and ideally something that is connected to the culture of your organization, but it doesn't have to be unique. The strength of marketing is that it makes you own that. Good marketing gives you ownership of that element and whatever that might be. One of my only exposures to AEC marketing is with a, a local client here and in their particular area of business, they had a number of different competitors. They were starting to get beaten on price. They were kind of getting dragged into a bit of a price war. And ultimately, they decided to focus on two things really actually, but from a positioning point of view, one, and that was around environmentally conscious building approaches and, and building techniques. And during the course of our work with them in the early stages, they were quite reluctant to do that because they felt well, there's nothing unique about it. You know, that all of their competitors offered this as well. And all of their competitors were, were able to, to offer alternative types of products that were also environmentally sound. But what we were trying to do with what we encouraged them to do with their brand strategy was to focus heavily on this as their primary credential. So this became the thing that this business was known for. So yes, it did all of the other things in this particular part of the industry, and it was able to service any needs that you may have from a construction point of view. What it became not only known for, but what it became renowned for was sustainable and environmentally conscious building techniques. And I don't know what the market looks like in the US at the moment, but increasingly that's a huge issue in construction in Europe. So this became the differentiator for them. It's not unique, but it became the thing that they were renowned for. And it became the thing that, that they started to build up credentials in. And you talk about 10 or 20 proposals that could be anywhere from eight to hundred pages long that all talk about value, all talk about certain kind of commonalities. I think what marketing is trying to do in that instance is win the tender before the submission goes in. You're trying to make sure that your particular brand is known by the tendering entity for being X, Y, or Z, or they're the sustainable ones, or they're the business that's focused on value, or they're the business that, that never misses a deadline, whatever it might be. And, and there are some pretty bad examples, by the way. But that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to make sure that you are renowned for this particular thing. It's not necessarily unique, but you're the experts in it. And I think that's what good marketing does. Rather than driving short-term sales, rather than focusing on short-term metrics, ultimately it's about making an impression on the people who you're trying to sell to before you ever meet them. So they know who you are before you come into the room or before your proposal lands on their desk or whatever it might be. You're making it easy for them, not just to recognize your name, but recognize what you stand for. And I think that's the challenge. And I think that's the differentiator that marketing can bring, uh, as well as the types of differentiators that it can focus on. Perfect. So looking into the future, where do you see 
marketing going and what platforms do you see marketing using to be more effective? That's interesting. I think that the period of fragmentation that we're seeing in the wider communications landscape is obviously not going to change. Uh, in fact, if, if anything, it's going to get worse. And I think brands are going to have to be much more clever about how they use multiple channels at the same time. So designing campaigns, designing communication that is capable of living in multiple different spaces. Probably one of the criticisms of B2C marketing in the past was that it was very TV first, that it used to produce a 30 second spot and then it tried to edit and execute off that. So I think we're going to have to start getting better at using or not starting with those kind of set piece ads and actually starting with concepts first uh, and ideas first um, and being able to express brand positioning through multiple different touch points at the same time. Now that often might be slightly different experiences or it might mean that people recognize the brand or, or hear the brand speak slightly differently in different channels. And we probably have to get more comfortable with that as a discipline. I think we, like I know one of the, the topics from some of your previous podcasts was one of the challenges for AEC marketing, not embracing maybe some newer digital techniques or tactics in the past. One way to look at that is to say that's actually a good thing because I think you probably avoided some of the bad years where we made a lot of mistakes. I think you probably avoided some of the, the screw-ups and the folly that happens when you start to embrace new channels and you start to trial and test new channels. And one of the stories that I always like to use when we're talking about new technology is it, it takes us a while to work out how to use these things effectively. The first TV ads were radio ads recorded over still images. And it took a while for us to start to understand how to use TV as a real medium. And I think the same is true with digital, with social, with short form video, maybe less of PPC and things like that. But I think it's taking us a long time to work out how to get it right. And unfortunately, I think sometimes it's changing faster than we can get it right. You know, I think email marketing is probably one that we never quite got right. And now we're probably not going to get right either because we're just going to move on and start to look in other spaces. So ultimately, the kind of the new comms world is, is here to stay. We've got shorter attention spans. We've got shorter opportunities to engage with customers, but we've got much more of them. So we've got to learn how to tell consecutive stories. We've got to learn how to tell the story of the brand and the story of the positioning that we want to land across multiple touch points and have them ladder up to that overall feeling. And we're going to have the luxury of far less of the consumer's attention to do that. So it's not about how we choose one or other. I think it's how we adapt to break down our stories to be consumed in the smallest possible bite from a consumer, but have that work at multiple different touch points across time and across different channels. For joining me, this has been truly educational. <laughs> Hopefully someday I can come to you with a problem and we can noodle on a solution together. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd love that. It's been a real pleasure, Keenan. I really enjoyed this. And thank you very much for taking the time. Great fun. And I'd love to at some stage. Yeah, give me a shout. I will do. Excellent. Well, thank you, Andy. That concludes this week's episode of the AEC Marketeer Podcast with Andy Pierce. I hope you find some ways to apply his knowledge to the AEC industry. If you haven't already, please feel free to subscribe to this podcast so that you never miss an episode. 
New episodes are released every Wednesday. Chat soon!